Welcome to Lawyer Business Advantage. This podcast is dedicated to helping attorneys earn more money, get better clients, and spend more time with family. I'm your host, Alej Yajnik, founder of Law Firm Success Group. Smart business guidance for small law firms begins in three, two, one. And it's my pleasure to welcome to Lawyer Business Advantage today, my friend Katie Burke, owner of Burke Family Law. Katie, how are you? I'm well. How are you, Alay? I'm doing great. I'm so glad we're able to connect after some time. And you shared with me that you just hired an associate. So that's awesome. Congratulations in family law, no less. Hiring associates is not easy right now. So tell us a little little bit about how that happened. No, I feel so fortunate. Yes, she just signed the uh, offer letter yesterday. She starts on Monday. It happened because my friend and probably the friend of many of your listeners, Robin Christo, who is a probate attorney uh, in the Bay Area, she said, I have an attorney for you when we were talking once on a Zoom. And I said, okay. And it's someone who uh, just passed the bar. She is new to the bar, but she's not new to being an adult. She had had some legal jobs before that, internships in family law. And I really like her. My team really liked her. And yeah, I feel really, really good about it. I'm very excited. Congratulations. And that didn't happen by accident, by the way. There's a couple of things I heard there that I want to make sure our attorney entrepreneur audience picks up on. Number one, you connected uh, with Robin, right? You two have known each other for some time and you were having coffee and you were talking about your firm. Yes. Yes. We were each having coffee at our desks. Yes. But we, uh, (laughs) yes, she, uh, right. It didn't happen by accident. It's those conversations that I really, really miss having in person because I feel like this kind of thing happens so much more that way, but I've just been really dedicated to having those. And this is just a one-on-one she and I set up together. Um, Just having some regular contact with people because it just facilitates that kind of thing. I mean, we just happened to have a one-on-one scheduled and she just happened to have come across this person whom she knows socially, but has had the experience of actually giving some work to herself, but the person really wanted family law. That's terrific. The other thing there that that Robin knew is she knew you were looking to hire. So how did she know that? She knew because we talked about it. Robin's looking to hire too. (laughs) So um, yeah, Uh, we were talking about it. I mean, so many people are talking about it and that's why I feel so fortunate because it's really, really hard to find associates right now. And in family law, it has been imperative. I mean, the pandemic has been such a shaken up so many people in their homes that it's business has been overflowing and a particular kind of referral that I love to receive that I'm sure we'll talk about has just been coming in droves. And I've really wanted to capture that expansion that's possible because I really, really like the cases I'm receiving and the clients who are coming in the door. And um, and then it's just been so hard because there's been this gap trying to find associates. So I, I feel very fortunate. That's fantastic, Katie. And and there's another thing you probably did right as well that we haven't gotten to yet, which is, and I'm curious to hear from you, when uh, this associate signed the offer letter and joined, what was it about your firm, do you think, that really, really resonated with this person and made them want to join? She had a background in working at a nonprofit in uh, domestic violence. And one of the things that my firm is really unique at is not doing domestic violence per se. A lot of family law firms do, uh, maybe even most, but it's really a forte of ours and it's really become a 
focus, partially because in the pandemic, people who were living with domestic violence couldn't get away from it very easily, or in some cases at all. And also because it's always been a part of my practice. It's always been something I've cared about, always on the side of seeking restraining orders, um, not defending against them. And uh, so, yeah, so it's that focus came and, and people just started hearing about it. And it's not the only thing we do, but it's a big part of what we do. And if it's not domestic violence, it's often some form of bullying, narcissism, whatever that we're fighting against. And so she just had the right experience with that that told me that she really does care about family law. It's not just something she's saying to get the job. That's awesome. And to have that connection that she really cares, not only just for family law, but specifically about domestic violence, and you do too, that is terrific. And so for all you attorney entrepreneurs out there, it's oftentimes not about just the money or the benefits. It's about really connecting with the mission of the law firm. And Katie, I know you did a great job of laying out your values and what your firm is all about, but our listeners don't know that. So would love to hear more about maybe how you started your firm. And um, you mentioned how domestic violence has been a part of it since the beginning. So take me back to why it was that you decided to start your firm in the first place. Sure. But I want to back up for a second, because there was one thing you just said about it's not necessarily just about the money, because the other thing I've been really devoted to doing that's born out of my experiences, good and bad, from when I was an associate, is that I do believe in paying generously and setting up the kinds of things for employees that they really would want to come to a firm for. So one of the things I hear all the time from other small firm owners is, well, we can't afford to get the kind of talent we should have. And my belief is it doesn't really work that way. You can't ask for good talent and not be willing to invest in either competitive pay benefits training, you know, that kind of thing. And, and um, so I've really learned and I've, I've made overpaying mistakes and I've, you know, learned, I've, I've had to try to learn how do you make this work as a small firm so that the associate coming in feels really valued and they're not thinking, well, I'll do this job for a little while until I can go and make some money somewhere. So that's a really important piece of it for me too. Awesome. I love that point about you know, making sure that you are providing a competitive salary and really good benefits, and then also making sure that the employee feels valued and engages and engages um, when they join the firm. That's that's terrific. Yeah, thank you. So now I'll go back to your your other question, which yeah. was how it all started. Um, so I, uh, when I graduated law school, I did not know that I was going to practice family law. I got a master's in counseling um, before law school and a. BA in psychology before that. So it's almost a little crazy that I didn't know I'd end up in family law. But um, I just, I kind of wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. I was going to be a psychologist. Uh, and then when I was halfway through my master's program, I said, you know, I don't really want to talk with people about their problems and help them process it as much as I want to do something about it. So, but that still didn't lead me to know that I wanted to do family law at all. I had no idea. And then I came out and one thing led to another. My, my first job was in family law and in part because of some of the experiences I had as an associate where you know I didn't necessarily think I was in the best environment. I wasn't always necessarily paid the way I should be. Um, I really thought the problem was family law in the beginning. And, and then as my career has developed, I'm now in I think my 17th or 18th year, what I've learned is that having my own firm, I can control what kind of clients come in the door, who works in my workplace. All these things that I think people sometimes feel victim to, 
like when people complain about their clients, I think, you know, you actually have the right to not make someone your client. <laughs> you <laughs> actually really said yes to bring them on board in the first place. <laughs> right. And you can, and I've had people be surprised, you know, clients that I could fire them. I mean, I've, I've fired clients and, you know, so I'm really, really selective about who comes in the door. Now the bullies that we're often fighting against are another matter. This is not a stress-free workplace, but uh, it's really important to me that the people who are on my side of the team are really good people trying to make life work forward um, and move forward and, uh, you know, not people who are getting in the way and trying to make life really challenging for someone else. I love that. And as you, you know, so when you started your firm, you clearly had a very good idea of the kind of firm you wanted to build, but that came with its share of challenges. And so what were some of the great things that happened as you started to grow your practice and what were some of the things you had to overcome? Oh, oh gosh. Okay. Well, <laughs> so I didn't know, I, I thought I was just going to happily be a solo um, when I started my practice in 2017. And uh, I tried to hire an associate earlier on, maybe a couple years in, and she was absolutely wonderful. She was exactly what you'd want an associate. But I made a really big calculation error in um, just tr trying to overcompensate for the way I wish I had been paid and, and trying to make it all fit together. And at that time, I didn't have more than I didn't have more business than I could do with. I had enough business for one. And, you know, I brought in someone who wasn't really a rainmaker. And now I don't expect to bring in someone who's a rainmaker at all. And I don't need to. Um, and I don't necessarily think that's the best idea for someone who's junior or even mid-associate to rely on someone to bring it in the door. But that was an initial mistake I made. And I I wish that I didn't have to let that person go because of that. And um, and then I... So then I was solo again for a while. But then that, I think, always requires when things get a little busy to bring in some kind of help. So I was trying to work with contractors and... It just wasn't the best solution for me. I think it's much better when someone's committed to the team and you're committed to them. And it just it just didn't really ever feel like the right fit. Um, so I and then in the pandemic, when everything got really super crazy and busy, I started really just thinking I've got to invest in someone full time again and just make this a more realistic picture and you know still pay in a way that everyone feels good about, but not be just sort of outrageous about it and, um, you know, put in the benefits. We do medical dental vision, we do 401k, you know, do things that are, that doesn't make it feel to someone like they're coming to work for a solo and just kind of take what they can get that, you know, I tried people last year who did not have family law experience and thought they might like it. And what I learned is you cannot bring someone who doesn't have family law experience and thinks they might like it to a firm that is, hardcore fighting against bullies <laughs> it just doesn't oh, sure. it's like you have to be in this environment already and know that you love it and you need to have a point of view if you're going to come to this firm because mm. this is not easy stuff i mean if if somebody else was being bullied and you step in to represent them you are now the shield which can feel like you are the punching bag and so i i, I learned very quickly but i i learned it a few times that it just isn't going to work if someone because because it, it all sounds like admirable work. It sounds like you know a lot of people would love to think they'd love to combat domestic violence and and other forms of bullying. But I think that the part they don't expect is how that's going to be for them. So 
it was important to me this time around to get somebody who knew what they were getting into and really was there for that reason. And my two assistants are the same way. I mean, they they are drawn to the purpose of this firm as well. I love that you put that put it that way, that when you're stepping in and, and defending a client, you're the shield. And I can tell that that really resonates with you deeply. And it's a big part of your firm. And to your point, you know, shields are there to get hit and they have to be able to take those hits. And so um, you've now identified that that has to be a trait that attorneys need to have at your firm. And I think that's a great lesson for everyone who's listening is thinking about the kind of work that your firm does and making sure that someone that's coming in is going to be up for that. You don't want them to prove themselves at your firm, whether or not they like the work. (laughs) You want to make sure that they like it before they join. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And I would even say, um, you said defending a client, I would say representing and championing for a client because we really, you know, defending almost suggests they, they, they have something to defend, which um, is not how you meant it, I know. But it's just, yeah, it is very, very important that they understand the mission. And, and really, I've come to learn that they share the point of view. I mean, you you communally, together, you create the culture, but there has to be a shared value system there. That's right. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, working with my clients, one of the first things we do typically is we do um, something called the one-page strategic plan. And the second thing we do is we identify values because they're so important. They drive how the firm is positioned. They drive the kind of people that you bring on to the firm. They drive the kind of clients you want to work with. It all starts with those values. So I'm glad, Katie, that you've got that front and center for your firm as well. And I'm not surprised at all uh, to hear that that's the case. So as you were growing your firm, you don't just practice family law in a very challenging aspect of family law. You do other things too for the community. And tell us a little bit about the community work that you do. Sure. Um, Well, I think one of the things you might be referring to is my book. I wrote a book called Urban Playground, What Kids Say About Living in San Francisco. And for that book, I interviewed 50 San Francisco kids ages five to nine about growing up here. I live in San Francisco and work in San Francisco. And uh, I wrote up their 50 profiles about the things they loved and didn't love about living here. And that was a very that was that was the writing side of my life, which has been part of my life for the entire amount of time I've been an attorney um, since about 2004, and I've been an attorney since 2002. But since 2004, I've been writing. And so when I did this book, uh, I had no, I didn't write about kids because I practice family law, and in fact, I thought of them as completely separate worlds because I always have thought of them as completely separate worlds. And then when the book came out. Everyone said, oh, yeah, that makes complete sense. It's such a great marketing tool, right? Family law and kids. And I was like, oh, right. Yeah, but that's not that's not what I was doing. You know, we weren't talking <laughs> to kids about divorce or, any, you know, anything like that. But um, so I really, the lesson for me in that was that it is so important that you develop your life outside of whatever your profession is, because A, it probably won't turn out to be completely outside, even if the thing you do outside of work looks a lot less obvious than writing a book about children is to family law. Um, I just, because I feel like I've learned that lesson in so many different ways that it's come around that it's like what you think has nothing to do with one thing actually ends up being perfect because guess what? We are who we are wherever we go. So, you know, it's, I'm always about advocating kids, advocating for kids and bringing out kids' voices and that kind of thing and hadn't put the two together, but everybody else did. So that was great. That is great. And we're going to have a link to uh, to Katie's book, Urban Playground here in the show notes. So uh, you can check it out there. So Katie, I have to ask you, 
<laughs> as a solo family law attorney, where on earth did you find the time to write this book and interview all these kids? <laughs> I have to ask you that, Ale. I don't even know. I can't remember that. Oh, it's such a blur. Um, no, I just, <laughs> I just had to really do it. I'm part of a writer's co-op that uh, we just lost our physical space not long ago, but we um, had a physical space in the Castro that, you know, I had a, I had a little writing office, which is smaller and less expensive than my law office, but it was a dedicated place I went to when it was time to write. And when I was doing that, my book, I wrote my book in about a year. So that was 2018 and 2019 uh, parts of both of those years. And I had to really treat it like it was just as important as everything else. And that there wasn't something in my paid legal career that could move it off the calendar, unless it was a trial or a hearing or, you know, something, but it, it couldn't bump the writing off the calendar completely. It could only move it. So I went in on weekdays to my writing office and I went in on weekdays to my law office and I went in on weekends to my writing office and weekends to my law office. And, you know, I'm somebody who really holds boundaries around my law practice and I don't tend to work nights and weekends unless I absolutely have to, but I'm, I, it's, it's not something that I aspire to or ever plan on doing a lot of except when it's required. So what really was happening is that I just I worked too much during that time because I really did have two careers and you know when people say to me, "Oh, that writing, that's such a great hobby." I just I want to reach across the Zoom screen and stab them. Because <laughs> 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 it's extremely hard work if you're writing under a contract for a publisher. It's 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 no less important than the law. It's just um it's just or no less urgent, I should say. It's just not not paid upfront. Yes. Yes, it's it's a different kind of commitment, but it's still an important commitment. So you mentioned that you don't typically work evenings and weekends, and that is music to my ears. Um, I want to unpack that a little bit. Um, when things come up that you know you could work evenings and weekends, but you choose not to, what has been going through your head or what is it that you do? What is your value system that enables you to put the work on hold until, you know, let's say, Monday morning? Yeah, well, it's all gone to hell in the pandemic, LA, but I'm hoping to. <laughs> um, I, I've always had my eye on it uh, going back to the way it was. And my hope is that with this associate, it will. Um, I have always, I mean, to take it back to the beginning, 2002 was when I passed the bar. I have always held that boundary. I've always been a big believer that I can be so much more effective at work if I am completely 100% on at work and then completely and 100% off when I'm at home. And and for me in the pandemic, I've, I've always gone to my office and, and that's really just because as a logistical matter, my home wasn't going to work for a home office. Um, so I, I never stopped having the life where I went to the office and then I went home. Um, something different happened in the pandemic that I'll talk about in a second. But But before that, I was really just dedicated to the idea that home is home and work is work. I've never once gone on a vacation where I've seen so much as one work email. Of course, I have that all taken care of with someone else seeing it. But I just... Um, Sajra Rauf, our mutual friend, said to me recently, you know, it's like you're an ER doctor. And I said, that is a really good comparison because it's, it's complete chaos and 100% engagement the entire time I'm in the office. There's no sitting around waiting for something interesting to happen in family law. Um, and then, and then like your shift is over, you know, I mean, it's, and if you, if you're in Hawaii and you're checking your family law email on a Saturday morning, 
it, it just will absolutely take you over because the things people are dealing with are so dire and so close to home for them that there's no waiting. So you got to have it set up for someone else, but but you should not be seeing it on your time off. So the pandemic has been really difficult because it got so busy so fast. And I really didn't want to, I, I really want to serve more people. And I really, really like the quality of referrals I'm getting. And I I think it's just an amazing fit between the clients who are coming in the door and what we do. So that's why it's been really imperative for me to staff up. Awesome. Well, congratulations on hiring that associate as well. And I I love the boundaries that you are setting. And I understand that that is, is also driven by necessity. I mean, you, you need to decompress and relax given how stressful things are for you and family law and the kind of family law cases that you deal with. Um, for the attorney entrepreneurs who are listening, who might think, oh, that's not me. I, I don't really need to take time off or decompress. I'm okay to just work evenings and weekends and I don't like it, but I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to share with you something uh, that might be a little controversial, but working nights and weekends is the easy path. It's the easy thing to do. It's easy to say, oh yeah, I'll just do this. I'll just do that. It's much harder to put systems in place to come up with other people that can handle some of that workload. And when worse comes to worse to say, you know what? That can wait. It can wait until Monday because I am worth it. I am worth having, you know, it's worth it to me to be healthy. It's worth it to me to be engaged. It's worth it to me to have a wonderful life so that I can go out and do a great job for my clients come Monday morning. And I want all of you, I want to encourage all of you who are not taking the time, not setting the boundaries to really think about that and think about how much your life means to you because it means a lot. Sorry, Katie, for that aside. (laughs) I completely agree with that. And I have a story to say about that. I have two things to say about that. One is every single time I've gone away, now I can't go away for three weeks and expect to not answer a work email. So I don't go away for really long periods of time. But I do go away and I have somebody, you know, friends, we do this for each other. We watch each other's cases and our clients can call the friend and pay that friend's rate. And and they're a family law attorney. They know exactly what they're doing. Um, I have never once, and I go on vacation a lot. I've never once gone on vacation and had a client call or email my contact that I've left for them. And when I come back from vacation... The overwhelming majority of the time in the overwhelming majority of cases, things actually ramp down. So even though I don't think of myself as instigating, it's just the temperature drops somehow when people know like, well, she's going to be gone. So I can't. And and that's to your point too about the evenings and weekends, because even if someone's working in a field that's not as inherently contentious as family law can be, it's you are keeping something going that should have a life cycle and there should be some breathing around it and some space. And whether you know it or not, you're complicit in things getting heated up and too fast and all of that. Because when I go away, it just, the temperature just lowers and, you know, it heats back up again, but people just get their break. And I once had a client say to me, you know what? Your vacation is going to be a vacation for me. Don't worry about me. <laughs> <laughs> That's an excellent point. And speaking of which, you mentioned you are really um, happy with the types of cases that are being referred to you right now. And there's so many family law firms in San Francisco. There's lots of choice for clients. What is a great type of case for your firm? A great type of case for my firm is someone who is trying to move their lives forward and someone is bullying them 
or um, well, bullying them in any form. You know, we really deal well with narcissists. We deal with anybody who's trying to. Well, it's an interesting tie into what we were just talking about. Someone who's trying to push boundaries. Uh, that's a really good case, and the the client themselves has to be someone who is really motivated to move their lives forward. I mean, when I thought I was going to be a psychologist, I was really clear that I only wanted people coming into my doors who were trying to improve their lives. So I, you know, what is a good fit is somebody who is not looking to stay in a pattern that my clients are trying to leave. They are recognizing, you know what, this relationship didn't work. If we're talking about a divorce or a child custody matter, because we do premarital agreements and all that. But um that they really want to move their lives ahead. So they're going to be an organized client. They're not going to fight me every step of the way. They are respectful to the team. And, uh, you know, and I really feel like I'm partners with my clients in this. I mean, these are their personal stories that I'm telling to the judge or telling to my opposing counsel. So they need to be able to advocate for themselves with me and with my team and then we're a partner with them in that where it's like it's not going to be tough advocacy. We're going to we want you to advocate for yourself so we can join you in that and and we all move forward together. So um yeah, I would say organized, responsible, you know, if they care deeply and love their kids, so much the better because that's what I care about as well as I care about children. So um, those are the kind of clients we have. You know, every time I talk with you Katie, your passion just comes through in such an authentic way. I absolutely love it. And I know it's coming through for our listeners as well. And so now that you've hired this associate and um, you know you now have this additional capacity, what's the next challenge that you're going to tackle for your firm? The next challenge, you know, it's going to be to continue to grow because I'm hoping she will be as wonderful a fit as my two assistants are because they have just been gold. They are just the most two wonderful people in the world. And um, I really want to, my ideal is that we have two attorneys other than me. So we're halfway, we're two thirds of the way to three attorneys and that everybody has a mindset that they really are wanting to stay and grow and build with this firm. So, you know, maybe someday I have partnership possibilities. Uh, I don't see myself building a huge family law empire, but I don't know. We'll talk in... (laughs) Six months? No. Um, you know, I I because I also always thought I'd be a solo, so who knows? But my my designs are on a three attorney firm, you know, because that just feels like at least right now, what would be a good capacity for the work that's coming in the door. And then we've got the admin figured out. And uh yeah, that's really the vision. And I mean, the purpose feels very clear. Uh, maybe that I would do more, you know, I want to write, I have a new website for the firm that um, there is a section called perspectives that we have hidden right now because I haven't done anything with it yet. But I want to kind of like, I mean, you're interviewing people, but I want to interview people and write up their interviews. So people who are, you know, working in the fields of domestic violence is, you know, slightly outside of the law or adjacent to the law. Or any kind of, you know, anything that's that's uh, tangential to what we do, or or what should I say, perpendicular to what we do. <laughs> right. uh, you know, talking to people like that and writing up, you know, what they do and why they do it and what their contributions to the community are. I love that, and and I'll yeah. What you will find is as your firm starts to grow and you start to add associates, you will have more time to focus on things like that. Um, you know the the point about having that associate in place and having it, having her be the first you know hopefully of of a couple is a really important point because hiring uh, in some ways actually 
bringing on an employee starts when you hire them. Um, there's the onboarding process, there's the training process, and there's the retention process. And after you've you know gotten that person on board and they've and you've hired them, um, it's still really easy to lose them. So having the rest of those things in place, so you really bring them in and engage them. Um, is super, super critical. And I know that's something, Katie, that, that you know very well also. Yes. So with that being said, what are some of the things you're really excited about for your, uh, for excuse me, for your law firm? I'm very excited about growing as a team. I, uh, my two assistants who work with me now, I, they came to me through Freedom Makers uh, which is, I'll say a little bit about it, I guess, in case your listeners don't know, but there's a person who was in the military. I believe she lives in the East Bay who... She does, yeah. She does. Okay, so she started this business called Freedom Makers for because she was in the military and the business is for military spouses to have virtual assistant work or virtual, maybe any, I mean, virtual, they also have paralegals and I'm not sure what all else they have, but, but virtual assistants were the big thing because they've been around a very long time. And I still think even now, I mean, a lot of people who are with freedom makers as the freedom makers live in really small towns where they're they're It's, they need some connection to these other markets and they have the skills, but because they're military spouses, they're often moving around and um, so they need something that they can plug into virtually. So I started working with these assistants um, a couple few months ago. And, and I worked with Freedom Makers before. And everyone I know who works with Freedom Makers absolutely loves the company, loves their personal Freedom Makers. And you have the option to buy the Freedom Makers out from Freedom Makers and, and have them be your employees. And I just struck gold with the two I brought in. I was only planning on one assistant, but they they let you interview with four and I fell in love with two of them. So, and they've just been completely wonderful. So I just bought them out from Freedom Makers and hired them. So that's been a really good thing. And, and they really like each other and they really love the purpose of this firm. So what I'm excited about moving forward, now adding this associate who also cares about the things we care about is really building a team. That's really exciting to me. It feels like a little... I, I cringe when people call workplaces families, so I'm just going to do it out of <laughs> laziness right now. But it, is, it feels like a little family, you know. It feels just like a little, like I'm creating a community, you know. And I, I'm really going to be very particular about who comes into this community, and I'm, I'm really thrilled to see it already starting. Well, Katie, congratulations on all your success and hiring that associate and bringing on board those assistants. Um, I'm, I'm not surprised at all that they resonate so well with the values that you have for your firm because your values are crystal clear to everyone that that takes the time to look. So um, Katie, if someone wants to get a hold of you or reach you, contact you, what's the best way for them to do that? They can go to my website and the email address uh, for the firm is on the website. And the website is www.burkefamilylaw.net. Awesome. And, and everybody, that is Katie Burke, the owner of Burke Family Law. Katie, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Alay. And that's a wrap for this episode of the Lawyer Business Advantage podcast. One thing that would really help both us and other new potential listeners is for you to rate this show and leave a comment in iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you tune in to listen. And I want to hear from you. So connect with me on LinkedIn and let me know what you think of this episode. And if you are a solo or an owner of a small law firm, and you're looking to earn more money, attract better clients, or reduce your stress, we would love to talk with you to see how we can help. 
Request your free law firm assessment by visiting lawfirmsuccessgroup.com. Again, that URL is lawfirmsuccessgroup.com. We look forward to talking with you soon. Thank you for listening. My name is Ale Yajnik. Until next time, remember, you can seize freedom. You can embrace happiness. You can build your perfect practice.